Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Hey, I'm excited to open this series uh, that we'll be in over the next few weeks as we dive into the topic, the idea of evangelism. We want to talk a little bit about our motivation in sharing our faith. We want to talk a little bit about our responsibility in sharing our faith and a little bit about how can we do it in effective ways in our day and in our city. Before we get to it, can we pray again? Is that all right to pray a few times in church and welcome God to, to speak to us? So Holy Spirit, we, we welcome you. We welcome you into this space here and to the spaces that are represented online today. We thank you that we come together not around our common interests. We don't gather around our own purposes, but we gather under the name of Jesus. And so I pray that as we open your word that the Holy Spirit, you would make much of Jesus in our hearts, much of Jesus in our eyes, that you would continue to unite us together under the person and work of Jesus. And so keep us from just going through motions over these moments and help us to lean in and to hear what you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, I'm still consider myself like a little bit on the new side of this community here. I only began uh, being part of the Avant Life family in July of last year. And so I still, I feel like kind of like part of the furniture, but like a new piece of furniture that will be like, eventually it'll be dusty and like someone else will be like around it, but I'm still here and I'm in it. But one of the things that I reflect on like my months here so far, one of the things that was impossible for me to miss as a new person to this church was how many people I met who had come to faith at this church. Like how many stories that I found, and you, you start to see how these stories connect and interact of, of people who came to know Jesus in the short time that Avant Life has opened our doors. People coming to faith, people coming to Jesus seems to be written into the fabric of this church. But I have this thought that I think if, if we want that to continue to, being, to, to be our story, and if we don't want that to just be something that is like, hey, we used to have those stories, if we want to continue to have those stories, it actually means that we must be intentional and fight to keep those stories. Because I've been in church long enough to know that there is always a natural yet inevitable pull in the church to leave that evangelistic urgency behind in place of the comfort that comes in Christian community. The longer we find ourselves in a place, the, the more familiar we become with the faces around us, the more comfortable we can find ourselves in those places. Now, Christian community is necessary. It's vital for our flourishing in Jesus. There's no version of following Jesus on our own. We need one another. But when Christian community becomes inward, when our focus becomes us, the tendency is to leave behind the urgency to share our faith with others because we're focused on other things. As we begin a new year, 
We want to talk about what it means for us to be a community of people who love one another well, but who are also committed to sharing the good news of Jesus with those who do not yet know him. We want to make sure that as we grow together in love for one another, that we don't forget that there always must be space for those who don't yet know Jesus, that part of our core mission is to share the good news with others, creating space in our lives and at tables and in rows for people who are journeying towards Jesus. We want to commit ourselves to being a community of people, of Christ followers, who refuse to leave our passion for those far from God in the past and keep it front and center as we follow him together. And here's my hunch. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus today, my hunch is that somewhere in your heart is a desire for others to know the Jesus that you know. My hunch is that like, somewhere in your heart is a desire for those in your life, your friends, your coworkers, to come to know Jesus and experience what you've experienced in him. That's why you're probably here. It might be because someone brought you or tricked you or like you're just finding your way in this, but there's something about why you're here that is connected to the person of Jesus. And when that happens in us, at least somewhere in us is a desire to share that good news with others. But I think one of the reasons we don't share our faith more. I think one of the reasons we maybe don't step out and risk our own reputations and comfort more is because at least at some level, we've forgotten how much God loves people that are far from him. We would never say it out loud because we know better, but at some level in our heart, we've forgotten, we've strayed from that truth. But this truth is our starting point for evangelism. Before we get to how-tos, before we, we talk about our responsibility to, to share our faith, our starting point is this, and this is all we're going to try to talk about today, is that God loves people who are far from him. That's our starting point. We, we don't share our faith so that we feel good about ourselves. We don't share our faith so we can just grow the numbers in our church. We don't share our faith just to avoid feeling guilty for not doing it. We don't share our faith so we can prove points to others. Our motivation, our core motivation in sharing our faith is that we're moved by God's heart for those who are far from him. Not moved by your own heart, not moved by your own, but, but connected to the compassion and love and heart of Jesus for the world around us. That's our starting point. That's where we begin. And we see God's heart for the lost illustrated over and over again in the person of Jesus. And I, I, don't want, I want to say this, not just in the person of Jesus. Sometimes we, we get to like, like, I believe like Jesus is the, story, like the point of the whole Bible from beginning to end. But what we see is from beginning and end of this entire story, God's heart is for those who are far from him. God is continually making a space. He started with a man. He began with a family. And now it's a na like nations of people. That's God's heart. It always has been. And we see it over and over again. But this morning, I want to look at a story that many of us might find familiar that I think illustrates this truth so well for us. And in this story, we find the lengths that Jesus will go to seek and save the lost. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke chapter 19. And we'll read the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. 
Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1, it says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see Jesus, but he was short, and he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began muttering. He's going to be the guest of a sinner, they said. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Let's jump into the story together. It says this in verse 1. It says, as Jesus entered Jericho. What's Jericho about? Jericho is a significant location in world history and also significant in the story of God's people. Now, this time in history, things had changed a little bit. And, and Jericho had become like a winter home and vacation spot for the cultural elites of the day. The rich, the wealthy, the famous would come and gather together in Jericho and hang out. It was a place they would go to get away from the pressures of Jerusalem. There was a, a ton of priests would gather here as well. Elites would vacation with their wealthy friends. And many of these people were associated with Herod and benefited from his over-the-top taxation policies in the land. It'd be a lot like many of the affluent neighborhoods across the lower mainland where we serve. It's just like rich, wealthy, famous people gathering together, talking about how many boats they have and mergers and acquisitions. But by this time, Jesus' popularity, his reputation was growing. So he couldn't just sneak in and out of towns anymore. People knew that Jesus was coming. People knew that Jesus was on his way. And when he would enter cities, everyone wanted to get a look at Jesus. Everyone wanted to see what he would do. They heard the stories of the crazy things he would say, the good news that he would share, the healings that would come. They wanted to get a piece of that. They wanted to see. They wanted to be around it. And on this day in Jericho, the crowd of people included a man who would have been well-known in that city named Zacchaeus. Who is Zacchaeus? The Bible kind of makes three notes about Zacchaeus. They say he's a tax collector, he's wealthy, and he's short. I feel bad for Zacchaeus. I consider myself on the shorter end of the spectrum. Not short, but like not tall, that's for sure. I really wanted to hit six feet, it didn't happen. Zacchaeus, I would imagine, was nowhere near that. He's short. Why these details? Why the detail about a tax collector? What does that mean to us? In this time of history, tax collectors were hated by the general population. They're probably not much more liked today, honestly. I don't know if you love the tax man that comes every year. It's like time to pay up. They were especially hated in this time in history. At this time, Israel was under the rule and occupation of Rome. And what Rome would do is they would employ Jewish people to sell out their own neighbors to work for them in collecting taxes. A key cog in this big machine was Herod. We read a lot about Herod in the New Testament. He was the ruler of Israel, but only under the authority of Rome. 
but he would build palaces and gain great wealth through his horrific and over-the-top tax policies. He was even known worldwide for his aggressive taxation on his own people. At the time, there's even groups that under his leadership, his own leadership, that would appeal to Caesar to say, hey, you got to get control of this guy. It's too much. There's too many taxes. It doesn't make any sense. So the Jewish community, they hated the Roman oppressors because they'd occupied their land, but also they've just put this heavy yoke of taxes on them, paying to Caesar over the top. So if you were Jewish and a tax collector, you were a betrayer of your people. You were removed from synagogue and unable to participate in community worship anymore. So tax collectors, they were hated because their allegiance to their oppressors, but they were also hated for the dishonest way that they collected taxes. Tax collectors were given this liberty to set their wage however they wanted by charging above and beyond what Rome required of people. So they would say, this is what you pay. They would pay to Rome what was theirs. They would keep the rest. This is how Zacchaeus and other tax collectors became so wealthy. They would set any price they desired, and they would keep the rest for themselves. It says that Zacchaeus wasn't just a tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector. Anyone ever been like invited to someone's house? You think it's just for dinner, and they say, hey, we've got an exciting opportunity for you? If you get in early, you'll be at the top of, it's not a pyramid, they would say, but in this pyramid scheme, I won't name them. At the top of this pyramid, this multi-level machine was Zacchaeus. He'd build a hierarchy of oppression, money from each layer of taxation and the fruit of it sitting at the top of a system that extracted wealth against the commands of God that profited him personally. People hated him. He betrayed God's people and made himself wealthy at their cost. What's all this background? Here's the point. Zacchaeus was not a good guy. Zacchaeus was not loved. You and I would not want to be friends with Zacchaeus unless we thought we could benefit from the things that he was doing. But something in you, if you have a conscience, would say, I couldn't participate in those things. Maybe the closest parallel that we could imagine is like a dishonest Wall Street stockbroker who preys on the poor in order to make him and his friends rich. Zacchaeus built his fortune by oppressing his own people to serve his own comfort, no matter who he walked over in the process. But as Jesus comes into town, Zacchaeus does a couple of things that are very unusual for someone like him. Little details. The first is this. this is, as Jesus was coming through town, he ran ahead of the crowd. Remember, we're told Zacchaeus is short. Poor guy. He can't see over the crowd. Jesus is coming. He knows he's there. There's all the commotion. And he knows nobody's going to get out of his way. They're like, like, Zacchaeus is not the guy we're letting in front of this whole line so that he could see. So he runs ahead of the crowd. And this seems like an insignificant detail. But in this culture... It was considered extremely undignified for a man of standing to run like that in public. But something's different this day. Zacchaeus runs ahead of the crowd. The second thing he does is he climbs a tree, which is equally as unusual. Like we can imagine like, like, a, like a, a sleazy politician or businessman in their suit climbing up a tree to get a look at this traveling preacher. It was undignified. It didn't make a lot of sense. 
So why would he do that? We're not told, but I have questions that I ask. Why would he climb that tree? Maybe he just wanted to see if he could hang out with the new hotshot in town. Get his attention. Get a quick shot of Jesus on his Insta stories. Tag him. Maybe get a repost. Maybe he was just curious. Maybe he was thinking, hey, if this guy actually does dismantle the whole tax system that's coming up, that I should be on his side. Maybe just hedging all of his bets. Maybe he wasn't even trying to get Jesus' attention at all, but something in him just wanted a glimpse of this guy that he'd heard so much about. It appears as we read the story that Zacchaeus is to some level seeking out Jesus. He's trying to get near Jesus. But what we see as we peel back the layers is that it's actually the opposite that's true. Because Zacchaeus isn't actually the one doing the seeking. What we see is that Jesus is seeking out Zacchaeus all along. Because here's where the story gets interesting. Zacchaeus is in this tree. He's looking up over the crowd. He's trying to get a look at Jesus. And as Jesus comes by, he stops right where Zacchaeus was. Luke says it like this. He says, when Jesus reached the spot, the spot. I picture this. I picture Jesus walking into Jericho knowing exactly where he was going to stop. Jesus had one mission in Jericho, and it was Zacchaeus. When he reached the spot, he looks up, and he calls Zacchaeus by name, and he invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. He says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus, I see you. Zacchaeus, I know you more than you think I know you. Get down from there because I'm coming over to eat. Jesus invites himself over to the home of the most notorious criminal in the city. He says, I'm going to be a guest at your place. And this is where people start getting upset. They start to mutter and complain. And we can all understand why. If we're part of the crowd, we're definitely part of the muttering crowd. Because we're thinking to ourselves, Jesus, you're supposed to be this man of God. You're supposed to have a moral ethic. You're supposed to care about what's right and wrong, aren't you? Like, you would then know what this guy is about. You would know the system that he perpetuates. You would know the things that he's done. Why are you going to his house? Why are you speaking to him? Why are you taking time to notice him? This would have been deeply troubling for people in the crowd, the people of Jericho, because to share a meal with someone, particularly in this culture, was one of the deepest signs of love and friendship that there were. It wasn't a passive thing. It wasn't just a convenient thing. It wasn't that Jesus was like hungry and he's like, I bet you that guy's got a chef at home. I'm going to go to his house. It was a sign of love and friendship. It was personal and intimate. There wasn't just accidental meals happening. You were purposeful on who you shared meals with. In sitting with Zacchaeus over a meal, Jesus was extending friendship and love to him. And he did it before Zacchaeus had done anything to clean up his act. Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house. And this is where things get amazing in Zacchaeus' life. Because it's almost like the story, story like misses a chapter. 
Isn't it? Like, I don't know if you notice that when you read it. It's like, he says, come down. And all of a sudden, Zacchaeus is talking. It's like, where's the, where are the details? Where's the, the chapter that's missing about what happened? Because we don't know how long Jesus and Zacchaeus spent together. We have no idea what they talked about. But something about that meal changed everything for Zacchaeus. Because at the beginning of the meal, he was the same dishonest tax collector who oppressed those he was meant to be neighbors with. But by the end, he was different. By the end, he was changed. And the scripture says that he stands up and he says, today, I'm giving half of my possessions away. Today, if, like, whoever I've cheated, I'm not just going to repay what I've cheated, but I'm going to make reparations four times what I've taken. Zacchaeus' entire life is changed by this interaction with Jesus. The most notorious sinner in the whole city is undone over a meal with Jesus. Doesn't just walk away from his life of sin, but takes accountability for his actions and makes things right. Now, maybe you're a skeptic and you're saying, well, that, he's just putting on a show for Jesus. He just wants to look good in front of Jesus. He's just trying to impress him. And you might be right, except that Jesus actually affirmed what was happening in Zacchaeus' heart. Because Jesus says, in response to Zacchaeus' Transformation. He says, today, salvation has come to this house. In other words, Jesus says, this is real. What's happening here is the real thing. And then we come to the point of all of it. In verse 10, Jesus explains not only this interaction with Zacchaeus, but his mission and his heart on earth. Jesus says, this is what I've come to do. In verse 10, he says, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Why Zacchaeus? Why sinners? Why meals like this? He says, that's what I've come to do. To seek and save the lost. This was and this is Jesus' purpose and Jesus' heart for the world. It was his heart and it is his heart today. Jesus said, I've not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. He's not come just to remind the lost that we're lost. He hasn't come just to point out the failures and sin and mistakes, but he's come to seek us out and to offer salvation. This is the heart of Jesus. Our God is a seeking God. He's constantly seeking those who are far from him. He's constantly seeking those who are lost. And he's offering new life. I want us to notice really quickly from this encounter a bit of the strategy of Jesus. We'll talk more about this in the weeks to come. But how does Jesus express his heart and his mission to seek and save the lost in the life of Zacchaeus? Two really simple things. The first is simple invitation. It's a simple invitation. Do you notice how little Jesus actually says in this encounter? How little the author Luke decides to write down about what Jesus says. He doesn't come into Jericho with like a sermon ready to go. Sermon notes, stand up on the corner, <clears throat> everybody. He doesn't approach Zacchaeus with a well-prepared argument. He says, I got you, Zacchaeus. No gotcha moments. He's not waiting for Zacchaeus to say to him, you know, Jesus, there's just something different about your life. 
What is it? I need it. Sometimes that's our evangelism strategy. I'm just going to wait for them to ask every question. I'm like, oh, where's the keys? This is the moment. But rather, Jesus offers Zacchaeus a really simple invitation. We see this all the time in the life of Jesus. He's very rarely demanding, very rarely pushing his way through. He's just offering invitations. Honestly, I think most of our life of faith in following Jesus is responding to his invitation. Would you like to come? Would you step into this? Like, this is how he approaches us. In this case, Jesus reverses the roles a little bit and invites himself over, but the principle and point is the same. Zacchaeus, come down and let's eat together. Nothing overly deep, nothing overly profound. A simple invitation into his space. Let's eat together. The second thing we see is radical acceptance. There's a simple invitation and there's radical acceptance. Jesus accepts Zacchaeus before there's any change in his life. Jesus doesn't say to Zacchaeus, hey, come down so we can talk about your behavior. He doesn't remind Zacchaeus of how far he's strayed from the law and heart of God. He doesn't show him, or he doesn't ask him to show progress before he will offer friendship. Jesus doesn't require anything from Zacchaeus before he accepts him. He says, let's eat together. And it was this kind of stuff that always drove the religious leaders mad about Jesus, wasn't it? Because they were constantly frustrated and confused about who Jesus would spend time with. Why are you with those people? Why are you with sinners? Why are you at these parties? Why are you in those environments? They couldn't get their head around how Jesus would extend friendship to sinners. This is why the crowd mutters and complains. Because there's something in our hearts as human beings is we want to see change of behavior before we accept people. We want to see that you'll, like, you'll actually come a certain way before we bring you close to our own hearts. We want to see the change before we offer friendship. And like I said before, many of us, probably most of us, would have been among the muttering crowd. I can't believe Jesus chose him. Why that place? And it's a question I think many of us need to ask when we think about the world around us. Is who are the people we think Jesus has no place with? Who are the people that if they walk through the doors today, we would say, what are they doing here? Why them? And when we have those faces or people or whatever that looks like, what does it say about our hearts? At the very least, it probably says that our heart has drifted from his. Because Jesus accepts before there's any repentance. Because he knows that radical acceptance leads to radical repentance. The transformation in Zacchaeus, we see, is extraordinary. He ends up doing even more than what the law would require of him to make things right. And his transformation shows what has already happened in his heart, not that he's trying to earn a new heart. Something changed in him. Jesus says, I've come to seek and save the lost. That's what I'm about. And it's played out in Zacchaeus' story through a simple invitation and through radical acceptance. Worship team, you can join me on stage as we prepare to close and respond. So what are the implications for us as a church here in North Vancouver? 
online in Surrey and Squamish, wherever you find yourself today, what are the implications for us? If the heart of Jesus is to seek and save the lost, then that must become our heart as well. If this is what Jesus is all about, it must be what we're all about. And the invitation of Jesus to you and I today is not just to join him in his mission, but to first join him in his heart. To join him in his own passion. Because God did not place us here in our cities to point a finger of judgment at those around us. We're here to extend an arm of friendship to those around us. We don't exist to remind people how bad they are. We exist to show people how good Jesus is. We don't need to try and change people. Like you and I can't change people. Jesus is really good at it though. He's been doing it for a long time. We don't have to carry the weight of that on our own shoulders. We simply get to be people, a community who offer love and friendship and kindness and acceptance to anybody while pointing them to Jesus. What if as a church we were known for extending friendship to the most unlikely people? What if that were the rumors about Avant Life Church? Like, man, they just accept everybody. Like, I think as a church, we're going to get criticized for something. What if we just decided and determined in our own hearts that we want to be criticized for the things that Jesus was criticized for? How do they accept and love those people? I'd love that to be our reputation. What if we just made the decision, like if we're going to err on any side, we're going to err on the side of love towards people. We're not going to make it about us and our own comfort and preference. What if we became liberal with our invitation and acceptance of people? What if we trusted and believed that God has put us here to share good news? Not just to have gatherings, not just to have programs that keep us busy but like what if it was we believe we're here to share good news what if we determine to be a place for the hurting and the broken and the lonely and the lost and the least of all of our communities I say Jesus we'll never put a qualifier on anybody because you shut up to Jericho for Zacchaeus and so we'll be a place that anybody can come and find hope and life in you can I talk specifically to the North Shore for a minute? Here's a practical way that we can engage in this. In just a few weeks, we're starting something called Alpha. We've talked a little bit about it in different spaces. Alpha is a place that we, we're going to set up for people who don't call themselves Christian. We want to set up a place for them to come and ask questions and journey through thoughts in a safe place as they journey towards Jesus. We gather around tables, we share a meal, we watch a short talk, and we have discussion where people can ask any question, they can share any thought that they have, and nobody's telling them what to believe or how to believe it. But it's a slow journey towards Jesus. Alpha is a place of invitation, it's a place of hospitality, it's a place of friendship. 
So we're going to talk more about it in the weeks to come, but our first session of Alpha is going to start on Sunday, February 13th. So right now, we have a Sunday evening service every Sunday night, 5 p.m. That is giving way for us to create space for Alpha so people can come journey towards Jesus in that environment. So we have a couple more weeks of our Sunday evening service here in the North Shore. And then from 5 to 7 p.m., we're going to host Alpha. We're going to have meals, tables, and it's going to be great. This is one of the ways, not the only, but one of the ways that we are going to respond to this in the days and weeks ahead. And so here's how you can be involved. Two really simple, three simple ways. You can pray. That's a really good one for all of us to do. Second, if you want to be part of the team, you can come talk to me find a space for you on that team. But what I'd love everyone to pray about and consider is inviting someone. I'll say this. If you're part of our church, you're connected, you're in a life group, I will not let you come to Alpha without a friend. It's not for you. You'll mess it up. But if you bring a friend, there'll be a seat for you too and there'll be lots for your friends. What if there's someone in your life, a coworker, a family member, a friend, and you just say, hey, do you want to come have a meal and watch talk and have a discussion? We promise no follow-up at Alpha. People can come. It's safe. Like, we're not going to pester them. No one's teaching. We just have a talk. We have a discussion, and we build great friendships. And something happens in this space. I've been around Alpha enough to know that as we just trust what the Holy Spirit does in those environments, He just transforms people's hearts. So it's going to be an exciting thing for us to be a part of, but it requires us to invite. Bring some people with you. Think about who God would ask you to bring and give an invitation. So you're going to see more about it on our social media streams. It's going to be on the website. Registration will be open, and it's going to be an amazing thing. We're going to talk a lot about it in the weeks to come. Can we stand together? We're going to respond in worship, but here's where I think our response is today. Remember what we said at the start. Our starting point for evangelism is not our strategy. It's not us. It's not our arguments. It's none of those things. Our starting point is joining God's heart for those who are far from him. And that's the invitation to all of us today is to join his heart. And we're going to just create some space as we worship to ask God to do some of that work in us because maybe you're like me and if you're honest say that urgency that I've had at times it's not there all the time I can easily become comfortable I can easily just fall into my own way of doing things and today what I want to say is God I need more of your heart I want that urgency in my own life I want to go out of my way so that I can see what you're doing in the lives of people and bring and invite and create space and all of those things. Maybe today we, there actually requires repentance in us where we say, God, forgive us for where we've missed your heart and made it about other things. And God, would you bring us back to that place today? It starts with joining his heart. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you here in these moments. And I ask that you would cause us to love those who are far from you in the same way that you do. I pray that you would convict us of our comfort, 
convict us where we've made it about the wrong things. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.